Reading out of the NIV, uh, if you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 555. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We're glad you're here. There are just three things that I need to remind you of, and if they strike a chord in where you are in the work of this congregation, be sure and inquire more about these. There's a van safety class that will take place Tuesday night at 6 p.m., and the same class will be offered also Saturday at 11 a.m. That's January 24th and 28th. If you're going to be driving a van any time in the life of this congregation, uh, you need to go to those classes in order to be able to drive. We're really trying to, to promote as much safety and uh, just wise stewardship as we can. And so if you need to know more about that, see John Michael Kennedy. Also, second, the Outreach Reorganization is meeting next Sunday, a week from today. It'll be a lunch. Enjoy the potluck together and also enjoy the getting to know each other better and also enjoy the opportunity to serve and encourage a lot of other people. If you need to know more about that, read in the bulletin or see Don Collins or Stephen Moles. Also, a reminder, uh, you, you know it, but just be reminded, if you're a leader, elder, deacon, or minister, our retreat uh, will be this coming Friday and Saturday at Whispering Pines. And it is uh, such an important time for us to be together and to um, plan and study and pray and to give uh, the best foot forward that we can in the work of God's kingdom. There's no greater work to be a part of than in God's kingdom. I'd like to tell you a story this morning as we begin, but reading it primarily and telling it from the voice of, of a lady. Tanya explains that She got married a little bit later than a lot of her friends, and she really never saw herself having children, although she loved children very much. uh, That wasn't really what she was thinking of. And October the 15th, 2001, she woke up with a strange idea, I think I'm pregnant. She went to the bathroom, got on her hands and knees, and reached back to the very back of the cabinet. She found an expired pregnancy test. And she said, you know, I wish I could say I waited five long minutes, but I didn't. It turned positive immediately. So she said, I spent the first few hours at work looking on the Internet to see how much you can trust expired pregnancy tests. And what she found out there was not helpful at all. So at lunch, she left the office, stopped by the drugstore, bought a double pack of a reliable brand, and she took the test again. Immediately it turned positive. She went back to work and she began to search the internet again to see how much you could trust this reliable brand. 
She went home that afternoon and she decided for the third time that day to take the pregnancy test. And immediately it confirmed a positive situation again. Her husband's a football coach. And so she knew it was going to be a while before he came in. So she gave some thought to how she would tell him. And he walked in the door and she couldn't help it. She just blurted out, we're pregnant. And from there, that was the excitement of Monday. On October the 16th was Tuesday. Tuesday, she had an appointment that was previously scheduled. It was just a routine visit for a mammogram and an ultrasound at Baptist Hospital here in Nashville. She was told it was just routine. She filled out the paperwork, and for whether or not you're pregnant, she checked it. The nurse came over and said, I think you've made an error in filling out your form here. And, um, but yet, she confirmed, no, I, I think I am pregnant at least if those three tests are correct. And, and um, so the nurse explained, well, well, honey, we can't do a mammogram if you're pregnant, but we can do the ultrasound. And so the nurse and the technician talked with her as they were doing the ultrasound, but then the room became heavy. The doctor came in and informed me that he wanted to do a biopsy. And so she reached for her planner to schedule that appointment, and the doctor said, no, you don't understand. I mean, right now, I need to do a biopsy. So they made an incision under her left arm, and the nurse and the doctor, although they exchanged glances and said nothing out loud, their silence was speaking volumes. She says, when I get nervous, I begin to talk. I talk a lot. She said, I begin to talk about my husband, and I begin to talk about my stepson, Andrew, and I begin to talk about all the other people in my family and my work, and then... The doctor told me those three words. Not I am pregnant, but you have cancer. She thought, I can't have cancer. I'm pregnant. She fell into the arms of the lady and she sobbed. They called the OBGYN and she went on the elevator two floors up. Dr. Richard Presley met her at the elevator door. He took her to his office, says, Tanya, you've been through many things together. I know you're a woman of faith. I want you to listen very closely. I've worked along with God to deliver a lot of babies. Tanya, people are going to tell you that abortion is an option that is safe. I'm telling you to search your heart and know that God has a plan. Afterwards, he told me he... After he told me all of that, he hugged me. We prayed. He took a blood test, and he sent me home. I remember being in the elevator feeling like I was going to throw up. I don't remember walking out of the building. I do remember sitting in the car and sobbing. I grew up in a family that's a faithful, dedicated Christian home. Her father's a minister. She said, we prayed. We prayed when things were great. We prayed for other people. We prayed for ourselves. I learned to trust God. Family values were second only to God. She said, for the first time in my life, I sat in a parking lot and I felt alone. I didn't know exactly what to pray. I didn't know exactly what to ask for. I sat alone, scared, and cried, and cried. Everyone was telling me that you can't have chemotherapy treatments while you're pregnant. 
They were explaining that time was not on our side because with pregnancy is the increase of estrogen, but estrogen feeds breast cancer. And so therefore, there wouldn't be enough time for me to survive during the pregnancies. And if obviously she didn't survive, the baby wouldn't survive. But after much discussion and prayer, meeting a compassionate surgeon, they made the commitment that they were fighting for two lives. And so eight weeks into pregnancy... She underwent a total mastectomy. The fear was six hours of anesthesia would either kill or harm the baby. Before surgery, she prayed, Dear God, please wrap your protective hands around my angel. Please make this okay. The surgery was very difficult, but we made it through. They began to study cases to see how they could treat this, but There weren't many cases that could study. At that time at Baptist Hospital, there was never a case where a pregnant lady had been treated for cancer. They reviewed a case study in MD Anderson where 24 ladies had been treated there. And and of that number, uh, three of the babies had not survived. And one of the babies was born with many complications. But that was the best guide that they had. And so they began the chemotherapy sessions. It was the only way that she was going to be able to survive, therefore, for the baby to have its best chance. She says, I totally gave myself my life of this baby to God. I prayed not for healing, but for acceptance. Please let me accept whatever your plan is, Father. Before each and every chemo session, tears would run down my face, and I would say that same prayer. Dear God, please wrap your protective hands around my angel. Please make this okay. Chemotherapy really puts your body through a lot of stress as well as pregnancy. So after the second round of chemo, I found myself in the hospital with feeding tubes and blood being transfused into my body. I was in so much pain, I could not swallow. I could barely talk. I had ulcers throughout my digestive tract. I remember thinking, how much more can a body take? How much more can my baby take? I remember thinking, where's my peace? Where's my hope? And then it's almost as if God sent an angel. That night at 10 o'clock, a nurse came down from the newborns. And she said, do you want to hear your baby's heart beat? Without even thinking, I said, yes. As she left the room to go get the monitor, then I began to panic. What did I ask for? What if the heartbeat is not there? When she came back in with a monitor, my room suddenly was full of nurses. She hooked me up. I took a deep breath, and there it was, that wonderful sound, a heartbeat, the heartbeat of her angel. Everyone cheered, and everyone cried. God sent a blessing. I'm still fighting for those two lives, I thought. She found out a short time later that that little baby was a little girl. Two more chemotherapy treatments later, she gave birth on June the 10th of 2002 to Taylor Lynn Wilson. Tanya and Tommy Wilson, members of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Would you guys mind standing? We are so thankful for you guys And Taylor, for you, and we're so thankful for a family that has such deep core values that would make godly choices at such difficult times.
God truly, truly is a blessing in every day and every walk of life. You see, this morning, we're reminded that our decisions have consequences and Satan is the father of lies. And the lies that he tells us always comes with consequences. But truth has consequences also. And truth always brings about the very best consequences. And we've just seen an example of that. You see, in 1973, the Supreme Court made a decision that the consequences continue to ripple with Roe versus Wade. They made a decision that would legalize abortion in every state in the United States of America. And since then, the consequence has been 53 million babies have been aborted since 1973. The consequence is this. And see, Satan will try to lie to us. He, don't, he doesn't want us to know these things. He doesn't want us to hear the heartbeat of unborn babies. He doesn't want us to see the ultrasounds of unborn babies. He doesn't want us to know the facts that, that are so painful to us as a human race. But 46 million abortions a year are performed in the world. 46 million a year. 1.2 million abortions a year in the U.S. That's two per minute. 43% of women in America who reach the age of 45 will have had at least one abortion. Except for biopsies, abortion is the most common surgical procedure performed in the U.S. The truth is one in four children die by abortion. Some studies say one in three. The most dangerous place for a baby in America is inside the mother's womb. But the truth is, the truth that brings wonderful consequences is found in Lemuel's advice that he heard from his mother before he was to serve as a king. She was trying to prepare him to be the kind of leader that would make a passionate and compassionate difference in the life of his nation. And she taught her son this, and I hope all of us could hear this and believe this and live this. She taught him, open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the case of the poor and the needy. We could ask any child that if they were being considered for an abortion, but yet was not aborted, and then 10 years later, do you want to live or not? They can plead their case then. 20 years later, they can plead their case Who's going to speak up for the ones that are so young or so weak that they cannot plead their case? You see, the sanctity of life isn't only in the womb. The sanctity of life is for the disabled adult. The sanctity of life is for the aging elderly person that's lying in the nursing home just a mile from our building here. The sanctity of life isn't just for the people who are the strongest, the most productive in society. The sanctity of life lies not in the person themselves because of what they have done. The sanctity of life lies within God's plan because He is the one who has created us to give us that sanctity of life. Last year, when we observed this particular topic, it was a week later, which was the exact, which January 22nd will be the exact anniversary date of the Supreme Court ruling. What we would like to do is we'd like to tell you, and this came about as a result of you, last year when we finished up this, so many people said, I just wish there was something I could do. I want to make a difference. You know, it may sound like a small thing, but to the people that we could help, I suggest that this would not be small at all. 
can we suggest two things, but yet we would hope that that this would just be the beginning of, of you having your eyes open to help individuals all year long. Many of us are familiar with Agape. Agape is a wonderful organization that is best known for their counseling, but yet they have a tremendous work in their pregnancy counseling where they urge young women to go ahead and deliver a baby, even if they're not certain if, if they uh, know how to care for the baby. They offer the counseling and the training to know how to care for the baby, or they offer adoption services to help adopt that baby so the baby can live and grow up in a Christian home. And so throughout the good work that they do, you'll notice scattered throughout the windowsills and throughout the foyer, you'll see an ivory piece of paper, and it is two-sided. And so, and these are two different things, and, and I've already had one to ask me that thought that these were linked together. And I know by looking at this, that would be easy to assume, but these are totally two separate things. There's a list on one side about agape, and it's about all of the works. I'm sorry, it's a list of all the things that they want to put in a basket that they give to mothers who have decided to keep the child, but yet this mother is going to need continual counseling throughout that. And this is the baskets that they give them as one way to help them because many of the mothers in that situation are mothers who are of limited resources financially. And many of the things that they're receiving are things that they would have a very difficult time providing on their own. But even above that, it's a way to encourage those young mothers to say, you've made the right choice. We want to stand on the side. Listen, if there's going to be any advocates in America for the sanctity of life, you better rest assured, if it's not the voice of Christians, we've got to even ask ourselves if we are Christians. Our God is the one who has commissioned us to stand up and to be that voice in a world that is full of deception. We would like to collect any of these. If you want to bring one item, if you want to bring 20 items, I would hope that you would bring something, and I hope that you would involve your children in this and help them understand, even from a young age, that God gives life. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. We'll be collecting those uh, by next Sunday, and we would hope by eight days from now to be delivering those to Agape. Also on the other side, you will see a family, the Estrabrooks. They are members of the Spring Meadows Church of Christ in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Their story is told in full, uh, or at least a good description of their story is told on, on the flyer that is available. I'll just quickly mention to you, they're faithful Christians. They've moved from California about three years ago because they wanted to find a place that they thought would be a, the, uh, a very good place to raise a Christian family. They literally began searching the internet and looking at the map and trying to find what they believed would be a godly area to raise a child, their children. Her father is, is an elder in the church. They're a great couple. And, and they had placed upon themselves, or God had placed upon themselves, the burden that there are so many children that need a Christian home. During the move, they kind of put that on hold. And then a guest speaker from Agape came and spoke at their church uh, where they worship now in Spring Hill. And that caused them to fan that flame again. And so now they, they want to adopt. You may not know that if adoption is not set up privately, with, with a, a birth mother and that couple without the help of any organization, if it is not done that way, whether it's domestic or international, most adoptions are anywhere from 25000 to 45000 
And so if we're going to talk about that Christians need to step in and fulfill the need to offer homes to children, Christian homes to children, we're talking resources. We're talking major resources. I would love to see the day that any time a faithful Christian family said we want to adopt, there would be so many people that would just naturally write checks that the resources wouldn't, the financial resources wouldn't be the question. Do we believe that the sanctity of life needs to be protected not only for the U.S., but for every soul around the world? Some of you may know through my family, my extended family, my sister and her family, Adoption has blessed our family in a very, very real and significant way. And we hope that we could be a blessing in some way to this family. You can write your checks and, and to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ and earmark them there. Give it to Buddy. Give it to one of the elders. Or if you earmark it and drop it in the collection plate uh, next Sunday or this Sunday, that will go to help this family with their need. We've got a lot to cover. Could I... Could I show you a couple of things very quickly in this text that, that's been capably read by Tommy this morning? Look at Psalms 139 and verse 13. Psalms 139 and 13. Here's a passage where David not only realizes how great God is, but that God knows everything about mankind because God made mankind. That is going to be the root. If you were to study the sanctity of life, that is the chain that's going to take you deeper and deeper into the study. Notice this again of what his soul knew. You see there at the end of 14, there's one sentence at the end of 14. It says, and that my soul knows very well. You know why we have a problem today with abortion? We have a problem with abortion because people... Them, their soul, they do not know very well who God is and who they are. Listen, I'm all for us being advocates to try to, to be PR people, if you will, for, to protect life. But to truly protect life is not just to create lists, to create papers and hand out to people that says, preserve life, preserve life. A life is a result of conduct. Conduct is the result of your beliefs. Your beliefs are lived out because of your faith. Your faith is what you form in your core values. Your core values form as part of your faith, as part of your beliefs, that forms your conviction. Right there's the line. That forms your conviction. And because of what you believe, because of your faith, because of your convictions, you either look at life and say, it's valuable. I can't take life. Or you would look at life through the eyes of deception. Satan is the father of lies. And you would say, well, it's just like a dog's life. It's just like a, it's just like a cow's life. It's, it's just a blob of tissue. All of these are lies. A human life isn't like an animal's life. A human life in the, in the womb is not a blob of tissue. And if you're saying that's a fetus because you're trying to say it's not a human being, that's a lie. You see, today, I hope every one of us can join in with the psalmist and say, I know very well, very well, who God is and who we are as the human race. I'd like for you to notice very quickly what he knew here on this slide. Look there, Psalms 139, verse 13 in these verses. I'd like for you to notice in 14... He's going to praise God. Why was he praising God? Because in 13, he knew that God formed his inward parts. In other words, God knows us inside and out. And he also formed us inside our mother's womb. And so he says, I'm going to praise God for that. You see, we praise God because he's the creator, our creator. And notice, we are fearfully 
and wonderfully made. Marvelous are what? Your works. Who are we? We are the work of God. Human beings are the most marvelous work that God made in creation. Let that settle in. We live in a society that doesn't understand that or respect that. When we understand how God made us, He made us after His own image. In Genesis 2 and 7, He breathed into us the breath of life. Man not only became alive, man became a living soul. David says, my soul knows very well who you are and who I am. When our soul knows who we are, please get this, we then know our origin of life. We then know the Creator. And we understand then that we have a soul and that we will live beyond this earth. And because of that, we have an identity, we have a purpose, and we have a future. If we do not understand our origin, we do not understand that we are wonderfully made. We do not understand that we are... Our, that our, us as a creation is marvelous. But notice this last sentence or phrase in 15. Look in 15, the last sentence where he's, he's talking about being made in, in the mother's womb in secret. When it says in secret, it's talking about in the womb. And he says, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That word skillful is interesting in this particular text, in this context. This word is in the Old Testament about nine times. Eight times it's either translated, most of the time, needlework or embroider. Isn't that interesting? That he chose something that you do with your hands that is a skill that usually when you do it right, you back up from it and you say, that is amazing. That's beautiful. My grandmother Armstrong, my mother's mother, she, it was amazing the handwork that she could do. Maybe some of you ladies can do that, or maybe you remember your mother's or your grandmother's doing that. And even as a boy, I remember walking in and seeing a bedspread that my grandmother, she had called all of us and said, sometime you got to stop by. You got to say, I finished it. She worked on it for, for months and months and months and months. And finally, this, this bedspread with, with roses that were dimensional. It was absolutely gorgeous. Do you see what David is saying here? David is not being vain here, standing in awe of himself. But David is standing in awe of human beings. The work, the creation, how skillfully made we are. And he says as a result of that, I will praise God. When we think of sanctity of life, the word sanctity, if you look it up in the dictionary, is holiness to godliness. It's sacred. It's hallowed. And we truly are in that sense because God is the one who has made us. I'd like for you to notice what else in his mind. Look at Psalm 139 and verse 13. What else he knew? He knew that he was him in the womb. You covered me in my mother's womb. It wasn't, I became me once I was born. I became me at a certain trimester. It was, I became me in my mother's womb. He mentions that again in 15 when he says, I was made in secret. He's talking about in the womb. And then when he talks about the lowest parts there, that's an idiom there for just talking about the womb again. I want to show you, there's several here, but we're not going to have time for several. But I want to show you one just to really illustrate this. In Genesis 5 and 3, 
Adam said, or it said, and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after the image and named him Seth. The Hebrew is very interesting there because the word begot means to give birth. Now, what part does a man have in giving birth? You women know you get really aggravated when a man acts like he knows what it's like to give birth, right? And so, so, you know, real quick, you say the only part that a man has in giving birth is conception. So if Adam begot, if Adam gave birth to his son, his part in that was at conception. Now, there are several other passages that, that we can can uh, write and, and, and uh, read it, that we can read of God's writings that talks about this, but we simply do not have time at this time. Skipping way down, though, I'd, I'd like for us to go to Isaiah 53 and verse 4. And I'd like for you to think with me about a beautiful passage here, Isaiah 53 and 4. Surely He has borne our griefs. When you talk to women that have Christian values, that understand the sanctity of life, that have had an abortion, and that's a high number of ladies, they speak of it being their biggest regret in life. They speak of it being a daily thought that brings grief in their life. How could we ever escape from that? We escape from that the same way we escape from any sin. God offers forgiveness. Jesus Christ sets us free. It's only by God's grace. It's only by His mercy. And it's only by His love that any of us deserve such an offer. I'd like for you to think about whatever it is in your life as you look back and you think, I wish I would have never done that. Notice what he does here in Isaiah 53 and 4. He's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. In other words, he's wounded for our wounds. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And one of the most beautiful phrases in all the Bible, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. By His stripes we are healed. I'd like to read you a little shorter story here. It's from, if many of us were going to make a list of probably the most faithful and productive women in this congregation, top list of 10 or 20 women, this lady would be on the list. So spiritual, so dedicated. She says, I found out I was pregnant at 17, a senior in high school and unmarried. The father of my child was my boyfriend and fellow classmate. He came from a dysfunctional and broken home, and I grew up in an abusive home and was sexually abused by a family member. I carried a heavy load of hurt and pain throughout my crippling childhood. Looking back, it's no surprise that I made many mistakes. I was 17 and pregnant. A boyfriend that verbally, mentally, and physically abused me as well as my father. Miserable as it was, it felt normal. 
he quickly began bringing up the, the abortion topic and continues and then said his mother began to bring up and convince me and pressure me that that was the right thing to do. They made me believe that the baby was not a baby until after the first trimester. I wasn't raised in a Christian home and I was easily persuaded into this belief. I did not understand then that life begins at the moment of conception and she puts down a reference to Psalms 139, 13 through 16. I reluctantly agreed to schedule the appointment and it took place just shortly after my 18th birthday, second month of pregnancy. I felt like I didn't have another option. I was too weak and cowardly to stand up for what deep down I knew was right. That's why we've got to be a voice to help. The haunting fact of that day is that once I was on the procedure table, my legs in the stirrup, I changed my mind and I said, no, I I don't want this anymore. And I realized they're not going to stop. I began to scream, no, 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 stop. And they shot an arm and uh, a shot into my arm and I was knocked out immediately. When I woke up, I was still crying and grieving and saying no. I looked down, I saw blood splatter on my shirt. A paper sheet dropped over my lap. And I wasn't alone. I was in a room full of women and girls in the same situation. It was horrifying. No glamour. There's no peace in sin. Once you signed your name to their permission to destroy document and you pay $400... There's no turning back no matter how loudly you scream. The daily consequences of abortion is that you never forget. You never forget the event that took place. You never forget the date. You're tormented wondering if they suffered. You never forget the month your child would celebrate their birthday. You wonder what they looked like, how they might have laughed. Would they have been athletic or musically gifted? The only part, and that's only part of the consequences The secret shame, the grief, the feeling of dread, depression, horror, and disgust smother you like a heavy tarp made purely of devil's delight. Not long after the abortion, I attempted suicide because I believe that was the only way to silence the demons, or at least I thought today. But today, I'm thankful that the attempt failed. But at that time, I was not. It only meant another day to remember. In order to numb the overwhelming pain of my decisions, I turned to alcohol and drugs and other self-destructive behaviors. I never loved myself and I never felt loved or worthy of it. Who could possibly love a person who would do so much of an evil thing? Four years passed and I continued the self-destructive past. The shameful secret I kept from everyone, but I was completely lost. I was deep in the devil's den. And one day, out of the clear blue, I met the most amazing man. He later introduced me to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who I found out had loved me deeply the whole time. I explained my life to this man that I had met. I told him about the abuse, the abortion, the lifestyle, and he didn't seem to matter. He somehow loved me for who I was and chose to see the good. And I believe that God sent him directly to me to lead me to him. Seven long years after the abortion, I was baptized into Christ for the mission of sins. Forgiven! Exclamation mark. I was born again in the same month that my child would have celebrated their seventh birthday. I didn't plan it that way, it just happened. I knew I desperately wanted to be forgiven, to be right with God. I knew that the only true peace would be found in Christ. I've been a prisoner of my past, but the grace of God set me free. There's no excuse for what I've done. There's no one to blame but myself. I still have times of depression. I still struggle to remember that God loves me and has forgiven me completely. I should love myself and forgive myself completely as he has. 
I hope this story will someday save at least one precious life. My brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes have a hard time forgiving each other of certain sins. Some are just humanly viewed as unforgivable. My peace is knowing that my God has forgiven me and loves me. And that's really all that matters. The Lord has blessed me beyond what I dreamed. Because of his love and his mercy, I am forgiven. I have hope of eternity with him and peace knowing that the precious baby I allowed to be destroyed here on earth is safe in the arms of Jesus today, waiting to meet me there. Praise God in all things, for he is good at all times. His stripes, we are healed. Life, there's a very real sanctity to life. There's a very real grace to Christ giving his life. And today, no matter where you are or where you've been, God forgives. If we can help you in a public way, we're about to sing a song of invitation. We'd love to do that. Maybe you want to be immersed into Christ. Maybe you want the prayers of the church and ask for forgiveness. Maybe there are things that you feel like just need to be handled in a private matter. We have many people that they've walked where you're walking. You're not alone. Satan wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to think that nobody has dealt with what you're dealing with. And you're in a house full of people. And some of them have walked in your exact shoes. Let's help each other. Let's bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing. Jesus, for the cleansing power, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood?